From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where Michelle discusses the issues of the day with The Conversation's politics team. Hi, my name's Amanda Dunn. I'm the Politics and Society Editor for The Conversation, and I'm speaking with Michelle Grattan. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amanda. Michelle, the highly anticipated Solicitor General's advice into Scott Morrison's multiple ministries was released today. What did he find? Two things, basically. Firstly, that uh, what was done was legal, that uh, Morrison behaved properly and the Governor-General behaved properly in terms of the legality. But importantly, he also found that Scott Morrison undermined responsible government, which is broadly defined in the Constitution, because under responsible government, ministers are responsible to Parliament and through the Parliament to the electorate, but how can they in fact be held accountable if no one knows that they've been put in to administer a department? So it's very critical of the former Prime Minister in that regard. Okay, so it wasn't the appointing of himself to these ministries that was the problem, but the secrecy. That's right. And that has always really been the central focus of this whole affair and the mystery of it too, because not only weren't they announced those appointments, but a number of the ministers were kept in the dark and the cabinet as a whole didn't know And it's never really been adequately explained by the former Prime Minister why he acted like that. He said at one point in his press conference last week, well, he didn't want ministers to act any differently and he he thought that things would be unsettled if the ministers knew. But really, his explanation's been unconvincing. Okay, but... Anthony Albanese has also announced an inquiry into the matter, so it's not over yet. Is this necessary, do you think? It is true that there are a number of unanswered questions. Why this was done hasn't been fully explained or adequately explained and the the detail around it. But I do think that there's a great deal of politics in this inquiry that's been announced. And that goes to the fact, of course, that when the coalition government came in, it had uh, royal commissions into the Pink Bats affair and into the unions. And of course, politicians have long memories. So there's a bit of tit for tat in that. And also, the government has a political interest in keeping the spotlight on the former government as long as possible and discrediting it as widely as possible. So I think that the, the motives are pretty mixed here. All right. And Michelle, where does all of this leave Scott Morrison? Because his senior Liberal colleagues are much less supportive of him now than they were when the fair first came to light. But obviously, the party will be anxious to avoid a by-election in his New South Wales seat of Cook, even though it is a fairly safe Liberal seat. So what do you think he might do now? There's no sign that he intends to leave Parliament, although I do think that there's a lot of pressure on him to do so. When I say there's no sign he'll leave Parliament, there's no sign he'll go until he gets a job. If he had a good job, I think he would have been out of the House immediately after the election. But, of course, he's um, not really in a very good position to find other employment and the events and revelations of the last couple of weeks are going to make him even less employable. But really, he, I think, would be 
better out for the sake of the Liberal Party, even with the dangers of a by-election. Obviously, there are big disadvantages in a by-election, but while he is in Parliament, he's just going to be a focus for attacks on the opposition, and the opposition's in a pretty parlous state anyway. But as I say, at at this stage, there's no movement at the station. All right, Michelle, and on to another matter. Preparations are in full swing for the federal government's job summit, which begins Thursday week on September 1st. We know that unemployment is at historically low levels at the moment. So what is the key purpose of this summit? The purpose is, the fundamental purpose is to give the new government a platform, I guess, to bring together business, unions, other stakeholders in the economy to try and get consensus on some of the big problems that are facing the economy and ways to tackle those problems. And of course, we know that we're in this very high inflation situation, real wages are going backwards and and will continue to do so for some time. There are acute labour shortages right across the economy. So the summit has a very broad agenda, but I think that the government will want to get some specific agreements to the extent that's possible on key issues. And immigration is one of those issues. There's no doubt that we need more migrants and the government wants to increase the number of people coming in and that can be quite a a controversial matter so it it wants to sign up on that especially from the unions and that also goes to an agreement to accelerate training and the acquisition of, of skills by people who are either coming into the workforce or are retraining into different jobs And the other big issue will be industrial relations. Now, there's agreement across the board that uh, the enterprise bargaining system is dysfunctional and needs to be reformed. But, of course, there are inevitably disagreements about exactly how that should be done. So the government would be hoping to get some consensus uh, around the problem and ways out of that problem, if it can, between uh, the business people and the unions. So, Michelle, how will we actually know if this job summit has been a success? Uh, A lot of us remember Kevin Rudd's 2020 summit, which was held the year after he won office in 2007. So the summit was in 2008. There was a lot of fanfare around it, but there was some debate over whether it was, in fact, worthwhile. How will we be able to measure whether this one has been worthwhile? Well, it will be very much in the eye of beholders, frankly, because we can measure it by the extent to which there is agreement on key problems and key solutions. But you can have broad agreement and and yet when you actually come to try and implement those agreements, uh, you get down to the detail, then things can fall apart. So, for example, under the Morrison government, we saw what seemed a productive set of discussions between employers and unions on industrial relations. And in the end, nothing came of it because employers fragmented and then there was legislation and that didn't get through Parliament. So it will take a while to see whether the summit is a success. People will judge, I think, in retrospect, 
although, of course, some instant judgment will be made at the time. And it does depend on the mood and, and how the participants interpret it as they go through and as they come out of the summit. But basically, it's on outcomes and they'll take a while. All right, Michelle. Well, as with all things, we will wait and see what happens. Uh, terrific to talk with you as always. Thanks very much. Thanks, Amanda. Our theme music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.